Hi, I'm Leonie Gherkin Schofield, junior silver medalist and Olympian. You are listening to the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by the NAHT. If they're attacking you, first of all, that person doesn't know you. First thing I thought was like, get up. Mom's going to be in bits. Just tell her that you're okay. I wanted to make Britain proud. Hello and welcome to the Olympic Mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Thanks for joining us for episode four of the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by NAHT, the School Leaders Union. Before we introduce this week's guest, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to everybody that got involved in discussions and feedback on socials this week. In episode three, John Peck covers empathy-driven leadership, and this sparked some real debate online. One of the comments we received for John's podcast was from Mike, and Mike says, Challenging. I've reflected on the impact that being vulnerable can have. Some aspects that arise in my coaching were also raised here too, allowing people to do things their own way, focus on relationships before outcomes, ensuring people know that you believe in them. Balance is essential. I've seen it applied without balance, and it's been disastrous. However, too often in education and business, we over-criticise and micromanage the very people that we need to empower. Thank you so much, Mike, for getting involved in that debate. And if you would like to get involved in future discussions, follow us on Twitter at Olympic Mindset. I really enjoyed the discussion we had with this week's guest, Leonie Gherkin-Schofield. Leonie recovered from a broken back to compete at the Beijing Olympics alongside her sister. She talks to us with absolute honesty about anxiety, how to deal with abuse online, and being brought up in a competitive household. Thank you very much for joining us at the Olympic Mindset Podcast, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. So Leonie Gherkin-Schofield is this week's guest. She's a silver medalist at the Freestyle Junior World Championships. She finished 17th at the 2022 Winter Olympics, narrowly missing out on the finals. She's only 24 years old and one of the shining lights of Team GB. So Leonie, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. So, Leona, I must ask, first and foremost, you're born in Essex, now currently live in France. What happened there? We stayed two weeks in this chalet in Châtel, and my mum turned around to my dad and said, let's do a year in France. It will be great for the children to learn to ski and learn French. So we moved for the year, and then after that year ended, my mum turned around to my dad and was like, why would we move back to, to Chelmsford? We've just lived here ever since. <laughs> wow. So how old were you when you moved to France? I was seven. I've got a twin brother as well. Uh, so he's seven as well. And my younger sister's six. So we were pretty young. I remember our first day we got, we walked down these stairs. French children just circled me in a corner, circled my sister in a corner and circled uh, my brother in a corner and just spoke French to us. And we had no idea what they were saying. It was terrifying. <laughs> um so that was that was a, a big memory I think none of us have forgot that <laughs> <laughs> so how long did it take you to learn French the teachers were really good we got put with the teacher while the others were doing other things to be completely fluent it took about 
two and a half years I'd say by the end of primary school we were pretty much fluent and then we just went into secondary school as normal French people would that's pretty good going that's good catch at time how often do you come back to the UK not very often to be honest all our families in the UK or most of our families in the UK so we tried to come back every year to see them the last couple of years it's been really hard with traveling and then competing and then training that it's been hard to find some time to just come back and and see the family and I must ask this question before we start for anybody listening to the podcast today that isn't aware can you please explain what mogul skiing is so yeah mogul skiing is a freestyle event so you have about six bumps on average at the top and then you've got a first jump and then you land and you've got another section of about 40 bumps before the second jump and then you finish off with six jumps uh, six moguls sorry you're judged on 60 percent on technique uh, 20 percent on jumps and 20 percent on speed so leonie when so, you say jump you're not talking about just a little hop are you what are you talking about no, so I'm talking about the jump where you'll see people do backflips or cork seven or even a backfall if you want to go into higher. What's a cork um, seven? So a cork seven, easy way to put it is it's basically, so you've got a 360, which is one rotation, and then you've got a 720, which is two. So you do two rotations, but you're off axis. So you're slightly off axis when you come round. Right, okay. So the reason you're joining us today, um, this is a leadership and kind of lifestyle podcast. I know it's obviously named the Olympic Mindset, but the idea is that we speak to inspirational individuals and we try to relate your stories, your learnings and kind of the mindset that you have to everyday people like myself. So although you don't actually hold the leadership position, we wanted to talk to you because, you know, you've been thrust into the limelight at a very young age. You've accepted responsibility, you know, for your own performance, for your own fundraising, for your own um, training. And, you know, you've already alluded to the fact that you moved to another country and had to learn another language as well. So although you might not be leader by title, you're obviously a leader by action. So my question to you to start us off with is what does leadership look like to you? Someone that can take responsibility for what they're doing and their actions. So have you ever worked under any inspirational leaders or, or is there anybody that you look to as somebody that inspires you? All athletes inspire me because um, I think we all have different journeys, different stories to, to tell. So it's hard for me to just pick one in particular. I think I can take off something <clears throat> off everyone. If that makes sense? Yeah, definitely. So obviously you're talking about taking the pieces of different people, I guess. And obviously, you know, you've said yourself to be leaders, to be responsible for your own actions. So, you know, talking a little about um, your choice of sport, moguls, it's quite a dangerous sport. There's an element of responsibility you need to take there for your safety and the safety of others. The question I kind of have for you or what I've been thinking about is how do you remove that fear or alleviate that fear? The fitter and stronger you are, the, the more fearless you feel. I think that's for everyone. Secondly, I think training is key. Training properly, not overtraining. So you're training in a way that makes you feel that you're progressing and feeling strong for the sport you're going to be doing. And then for me also, mindset is a big thing. So you can be really strong, but if you're at the top of the course and you've got all these doubts in your head, then it's tricky to put the best performance you want out there. I really believe in, in visualisation a lot. Meditation, I think, is brilliant as well. For myself, I'm a massive overthinker, so I overthink everything. 
it's funny in the sport I am you can't really keep overthinking I've had to train that a lot and like when I when I see a mogul course I can see the dangers in it I think most athletes can but it's ways of looking at it where when you're at the top of that course you know you've done half like half of the year of of training preparation that it's your life it's what you do as a living so you know you're good at it and um yeah and you've trained for it so there's no reason for you to to be at the top and be be scared there's something like you do a lot of preparation work particularly with the visualization as well as the physical training so do you think the kind of the preparation goes hand in hand with being physically ready and mentally ready as well i think mentally it has to be as much if not even more if we want to go specifics, it would be laying in bed or somewhere comfortable and I'm thinking about my closing my eyes and I'm thinking about my run, what I want it to look like, what what it is around me. Um, you know, every year we, we go the World Cup tours pretty much similar. So I know what the place looks like, what it's going to be like. Um, and then I just put that in my head, uh, make out I'm actually there. And then I just put my run in place. So what my arm position is going to be, my legs, my movement, how I want it to flow. And then, yeah, visualise my tricks. I might move my arms, um, depending on what it is. So you mentioned earlier injuries. You've had quite a few, I've read. So you've broken collarbones, you've dislocated shoulder and you've broken your back. Yeah, and I've got two ACLs as well. And yet you still manage to bounce back every time. I I played football and, you know, you, you hear of stories where somebody's done their ACL and their career's over and, you know, mentally they don't come back from it. So to hear that you broke your back as well as you did all of those things and you've managed to come back, there must be something there that mindset-wise is, is setting you apart from other people. And that's what I'm really interested in kind of finding out yeah. what it is. So I was talking to someone earlier about um, mental health and... Uh, and it's funny because this came up as well. And and on every time I've injured myself, I've had one person say to me, oh, you're giving up then? It's time to give up or or something that's that's really frustrated and annoyed me and be like, you don't decide my life and what I'm going to do. When I when I first injured myself, my first thought's like, I'm not going to ski again. I'm not going to do this. I'm, I'm so mentally fed up. It's heartbreaking every time. After a few weeks something in my brain like clicks you can't end up on this you're not over you love it it's what makes you happy and I just think I have that fighting spirit of you know nothing's impossible and and if someone tells me it is then I'll be like well I'm just going to prove you it's not <laughs> is why I want to be a, a physiotherapist is because I've experienced like bad physios and good physios and and know how someone is feeling when they're injured and it's not just that like it's not just physically, it's mentally as well. And a lot of physios don't understand that. So do you think that's a big driver for you, proving people wrong? Is that yeah. possibly a bigger driver than the internal drive? Yeah, it, it is when the amount of doctors and surgeons and, and actual people that have said to me, you know, I think it's time for you to move on or it drives me to be like, no, <laughs> I, I'm going to prove you wrong and I'm going to show I'm going to show you what I'm made of kind of thing. You, you touched on something there that I'm quite interested in, actually, that that initial stage of thinking, oh, I give up, I don't want to do this anymore, that you get through it. It's actually called the Kubler-Ross change curve. And it's five areas. The first stage is denial. So denial and then anger. That sounds like those first two stages yeah. you hit when you, you're injured. Then you hit the bargaining phase where you start to think, well, is this for me? Is this the right thing to do? Then you hit the depression phase, possibly, or maybe you skip straight yeah. through it where you feel a bit down, depressed, 
then you get to to the acceptance stage and then you're back to where you were before and, and possibly stronger and better off for it. How long does it take you to get through that change cycle, did you say? I would say a few weeks. So for my collarbone, it would be I had surgery and then the first two weeks I had all the, the first a few phases you were talking about, like I was feeling down and I was asking myself, oh, is this really for me? And then, yeah, I got really upset. Basically a month where I started to actually physically feel better, where yeah. I could move my arm and go to the gym and that. And I was like, oh, well, actually, I'm fine. I just like started going back up again. That's brilliant. That's really nice to hear. And those five stages are quite crucial to try and get through and push yourself through. And it's not a linear path. You can drop back and forth. You can bounce between a few phases and you return to the start again. So it's really interesting to hear that you get through it and you're stronger for it. So that's an insight really into perhaps what it takes to have an attitude to to work at the top, would you say? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think you've either got that fight spirit competitive in you or you don't have it as much I was very much when I was younger I was like you know I'm in this to win this and if I don't win then I'm, I'm really like I'm upset and it, it's took it's took me a few years to be like you know it doesn't matter if you don't win <laughs> why don't <laughs> I believe in- when you say that <laughs> from my injuries I've kind of I still don't get me wrong I still want to win and I still <laughs> I would love to be top of my game but it, the injuries have kind of made me look at it a bit differently as in you know not everyone has the same path and it's not always as easy that there can be challenges um to get to where you want to get yeah it's just made me realize that no matter the result and I love what I do and I love my life and I think that's something that I can be really grateful for Absolutely. And as I alluded to earlier, there's no linear path, you know, it's it's messy. So the fact that you have to experience all these different things and all these different hurdles, I believe, make somebody a stronger person. I'd be interested now to tap into home life. And the reason I want to talk about your home life is not just because you've gone on to achieve so much at your age, it's because there's three of you. Do you want to tell us a little about your family? So yeah, my brother, my twin brother, Tom, uh, and my younger sister, Michaela, they both do mogul skiing as well. So we're in a journey, all three of us together. And all three of you nearly qualified for the Beijing Olympics together at the same time, right? That, that's quite a hard one. It, it was tough because one minute we were, me and Kayla were really happy and we were like, well, we're going to the Olympics. And then next minute we're really upset because our brother just didn't quite make it. He suffers from concussion. Last year he had his third one. It, it took about six months for him to recover still recovering actually from it he was struggling to find any positive in anything so just to see him get to to now that he's happy and he's enjoying it again put a massive smile on all of our faces that's really nice to hear and it's nice to hear that you and your sister are being so supportive because it must be extremely difficult to balance that kind of family dynamic uh you kind of skimmed over this by the way all three of you are competing at the very top of the game. So I believe Tom won the silver medal in the World Championships freestyle. He won a silver medal at the World Cup Finals in Russia. And then your sister was in Beijing with you? Yeah, my sister came eighth in Beijing. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. And obviously, if it wasn't for the fall, then you were predicted to do pretty well as well, weren't you? So the, yeah. the three of you are really um, you know, high-performing individuals. So I'm really interested to find out a little about what it was like at home growing up in that environment. What was home life like? <laughs> are your parents super competitive? Were you out on the slopes every day? Was your mum making you run five-mile runs every morning? What was it like? It's quite funny because 
my mum and dad are different in that way so my dad's really competitive on the slopes with us when he can but my mum's a bit more relaxed <laughs> not so much competitive uh, more like enjoy it have fun my dad's like that too but he's the one who has that competitive spirit in him and I think that's where I've got it from okay uh, but yeah they're both massive supporters I mean my dad will watch and scream and shout at the tv or if he's actually coming to, to see us but my mum will be in her room with her eyes closed praying <laughs> <laughs> she can't watch so she doesn't um, watch you compete oh she can't watch she'll watch after she knows it's gone all right if not she can't watch it <laughs> really wow so she's never seen you live well when we were younger she did she did watch us but it was still like <laughs> with <laughs> through what through her fingers but yeah now she she just about managed to watch us um at the olympics obviously i haven't helped on that because <laughs> with all my injuries it's kind of hot my mum's like just get down in one piece <laughs> yeah i can imagine her priorities have changed from you winning gold to you not breaking something <laughs> your dad going to your dad then he's the competitive one. Oh, he wanted he wanted us to win for sure yeah i think he was yeah he was more yeah, you're in this to win this kind of <laughs> spirit. When Tom got his his silver, he was like, you know, he was in tears. He was just so happy. And the same when like me and Kayla said we were we're going to the Olympics, like my parents like tearing up. <laughs> we've got two daughters that are Olympians and we've got a son that's the World Cup medalist. It's just incredible for them. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you as a parent, that is incredible. So again, looking at the dynamic between you as a family, how did the three of you go from English school kids to Olympians living in France? How did that happen? Were you naturally talented at the sport or was it dedication yeah. and years of practice? Our ski instructor said to my parents, your children are freestylers. At first, my parents laughed and were like, what, are you, what is he on about? I was on the chairlift with my parents and I remember looking down at a mogul field and I saw these mogul skiers going through through the bumps and I was like oh that is so cool I, I want to be like them literally our parents signed us up to the to the ski club and we just joined and went from there it's it's funny because my sister was crying because <laughs> she didn't want to go she was like oh why are you making me do this I don't want to do this and she would just cry and then soon as soon as we were skiing and she was like massive smile on her face and my mom was like oh can you, can you just not do the fuss at the start? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, when we first started off, especially me, I always wanted to beat my sister. And well, obviously Tom competed with the boys. So I was very much like if Kayla beat me, I was in a big strop and mood. And, <laughs> oh, you know, it's like to have that competitiveness that you, you're like, oh, my sister just beat me. No. <laughs> I do um, like my brother, yeah, so I know how that feels. Do you know, I, I spoke to Sophie McKinna. Sophie McKinna is Team GB and shop at double champion. Um, she told me a very similar story that she didn't want to do shop. Her mother kind of forced her to do it. And she turned up kicking and screaming. She wanted to be a sprinter. And her mother got into it and all of a sudden she, she kicked on. So maybe there's something to be said for any kids yeah. listening to this podcast. Listen to your parents. <laughs> For me, joining NAHT was about finding people that I could speak to, like-minded people. So it was more about building a, a, a support network because in our role as head teachers, it's often quite a lonely place to be. 
within our schools. We're often the person that everybody comes to, but very often we have nowhere to go. You know, if, if we've got a problem or a concern or a worry, it's difficult for us to go to our staff with that because we're often seen as that person that needs to be in control and knows what's going on. And you want to project yourself as that person that uh, understands and can cope with all of that. But I found NAHT just that place that I can go to if I've got a problem or a, a query or I'm not sure about something, there's always been somebody there that I can I can ask and, you know, they understand what that's like. NAHT is here to defend and promote the rights of all school leaders. So together, we can create a better education system for educationalists and learners alike. For more information, email us at joinus at naht.org.uk or call us on 0300 30 30 333. Do you think it makes a difference having the opportunity to spread that pressure across the family? Yeah, so I think we all agree on the fact that I'm I haven't got as much pressure as if I watch Tom and Kayla, my heart's pounding. And it's the same thing for them. You're really close when you have siblings. It's like they understand and they they know how you feel. So sometimes when you you know, you didn't do so well or you weren't happy with your run, you know, they'll be there and, and they'll make you instantly feel better. It's not very often you get an insight into how it feels to be both a fan, supporting a family member and doing it yourself. So would you honestly say that it's harder to watch than it is to sometimes be in the moment and perform? Oh, yeah, definitely. As an athlete, when you watch, especially your siblings, you don't want anything to go wrong. And you're like, if you see a mistake, you're like, oh, no, quick, do this. But you can't you can't control that it's it's up to them so um this next bit i'm hoping to kind of dig into a bit about anxiety because i'm hoping that you can help people listening at home that maybe might be going through similar struggles to what you've gone through in the past you know as honest as you can possibly be if you feel comfortable to um what kind of anxiety or negative thought patterns have you had and when did they occur i would say yeah my low points would be uh, or my low phases if we can put it that way would be after every injury at the worst. You know, as an athlete, you you want to obviously do your sport and then when it doesn't go right, it's it's devastating and you go through a phase of kind of depression where you're just like, oh, I'm useless, I'm rubbish. Like, what's the point? Maybe people are right when they say you should just give up and you start doubting yourself and you get all these thoughts. Well, that's what, what I've had. My family's been a massive support. My friends, my sports psychologists I work with, you know, to not be afraid of, of when you're down to speak up and talk talk about it. And if, if you can't do that, some people find that really hard is grab a piece of paper, write down whatever's going through your mind and then to, to kind of think of, of what would help you. So for me, it was going for a walk and then seeing what, what I like to do besides my sport. I learned Spanish. I'm not very good at it, but I still, <laughs> it was something to do it's just keeping your mind occupied rewarding yourself in a different way I never used to do yoga I got into it and it's one of the toughest things I've done so that really helped me finding ways to make yourself feel better and knowing yourself better you come out stronger empower children aged 5 to 11 to develop confidence and make safe choices with .com Digital by Too Simple. Housing over 24 themes, .com Digital enables schools to deliver a rich PSHE curriculum 
all while fulfilling the requirements of the 2020 RSE framework. Created in conjunction with children, safeguarding leads and senior leaders from across the UK's police forces, Dotcom Digital speaks to children in their own language with free resources to support children's safety and resilience against current and emerging threats. Dotcom Digital is constantly being updated and all lesson content is packaged with comprehensive overviews, videos, guidance and activities. Access your free sample pack of lessons at twosimple.com forward slash Olympic Mindset. It's too simple. I'm interested to find out whether there's like an end point you're aiming towards, or is it just that you enjoy the journey of competing, or is there a particular thing or, that you want to achieve before you say, now I'm done, I'm moving on to the next thing? To be honest, it's been so up and down my journey that it's really hard to know specifically my goals. It depends what we define by goals, right? It could be results. I tend to not look at that anymore. And I look at what would my ideal run be? What would I be happy with? And how do I want to end my career? Because obviously I can't do it for another 15 years. It's mogul skiing. So it's hard to know what the judge is like. um, Because if we get the free top female skiers or the free top uh, male skiers all three of them will ski in a different way but for me there's one key point that stands out they make it look really easy and they can do 10 15 runs and they'll be the same <laughs> I, I always watch um you know Piggins the the top French girl in mogul skiing and then Mikael Kingsbury, the Canadian, you just watch one run, you'll watch another run, it'll be the same. And again, and again, and again. And it's like, how long can these guys go on for and be so perfect? <laughs> it, yeah, it's a difficult thing. And actually, funnily enough, you, you mm. say about that, um, trying to work out how to kind of win by impressing the judges. In education, you have an inspection process and actually there's no set way to complete it. So there's lots of people that would be listening to this podcast that are teachers or leaders or in schools. The thing that really struck home to me then was you saying that as long as you've done everything that you know you think is important, as long as you've done everything that you think that you could possibly do, and you're doing the very best for the best reasons, then you're happy with that outcome. So I think hopefully people listening to this that might be struggling a little in work, particularly in the education sector, can listen to that and and take some kind of solace that it's not always about working to these invisible kind of expectations of other people. Sometimes Mm. it's about doing what's right and and what makes you feel right. You're getting into the territory now of of finding your purpose or finding your passion. So how did you find your purpose? What does that look like to you? Well, that's a good question. Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how to answer this. Um, well, first of all, I guess, is is what you're currently doing your passion? Is it your purpose? Oh, yeah. Um, well, yeah. One reason is why I do my sport is because I love it. And I think that goes out for anyone um, in their choosing sport. If they don't enjoy it, then that's just not for them. The reason why I chose mogul skiing um is in particular because it has the most variety of skiing okay um you've got a technical side which is in the bumps so you've got to be a good skier but then you've got the acrobats so you've got to be really good in the air so it has both sides of skiing it doesn't have just the technical side it has also the 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 jump side 
you know mogul skiing is art for me you look at someone come down and you're like whoa that's a that's a piece of art so starting to like get into the territory now of what the olympic mindset Mm. is well for you at least what would you say are the three key characteristics of an olympic mindset Mm, responsible would be one you can't just go out for a drink and you know you've got to be professional enjoyment doing a sport where you enjoy it will always bring the best out of you and passion desire to learn and always want to do, always want to be better and, and look at the, the things that will make you better that's, that's fascinating and the reason I find that fascinating is because I hope you don't mind me bringing it up but your viral interview obviously I want to hear a little about that and the emotion behind it yeah. but the thing I found most fascinating and it's interesting that it was your number one thing responsibility because I was really surprised that you apologized almost reached the Olympic final it's your first ever time there you're only 24 you've never been there before you know as Brits we're pretty happy that you got there anyway and the fact you stood there and apologized when you know you lost your footing it wasn't that you had a bad yeah. performance you were doing really well you just lost your footing so I was really surprised that you chose to apologize for something that I saw as outside your control so do you want to tell me a bit about why you apologized and the first thing I thought was like get up mom's going to be in bits just tell her that you're okay so I apologized because I wanted to well I wanted to make Britain proud first of all and secondly I knew all my family was watching and that's not the way I wanted to to show them my sport and what I do well, you did. You did make Britain proud. Everyone that goes to the Olympics, you know, there's you. Only, to even get there is a massive accomplishment. I'm, I'm assuming you're going to go back, give it another go. And is, is that the end? Well, um, yeah, me, me, Tom and my my sister are, are hoping that, uh, yeah, we go for another four years and all three of us make it and, and we absolutely smash it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you will. There's there's a couple of things I wanted to cover before we finish, if that's okay. Uh, what are your views on social media? Obviously, a lot of our listeners will have a complex relationship with social media. And, you know, you're that generation that has actually grown up with it. What's your relationship with social media and how do you manage that? Obviously, you have to have it for sponsors to, to put yourself out there, get yourself known. In that sense, it's brilliant. But on the other hand, obviously, I think uh, social media can be very bad, if I can put it that way. As in, obviously, when you, you're having hard times, um, it's not the best tool to use. It's time consuming as well. And you have to having a balance. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm actually quite into decluttering my life at the moment. And I've been doing it for a few years. So, yeah. you know, if you look at statistics around how we spend our time, I think the average mm. person, not your generation, my generation, will spend six years of their life on social media. It's higher as we go through each generation. So, you know, I kind of look at it and think there's no way on my deathbed I want to look back and think I spent six years on social media scrolling mm. through. So I've started decluttering and taking things away in pursuit of, of greater quality of life and, and greater quality yeah. of, of ownership of my goals. So the three questions I kind of ask myself is uh, before I do anything, not just social media, is does it help me towards a professional goal? If it does, I'll do it. Does it help me towards a personal goal? If it does, I'll do it. And finally, does it make me happy? So it doesn't always have to be about pursuit of goals. Sometimes if it just makes me happy, I'll do it. Like you learning to play the guitar, you know, me playing football with my friends, you know? So I think it's really important that we start to declutter and start to detach from that almost over-dependence on social media. Um, so have you have ever had to deal with any abuse on, online and how did you deal with it? If they're attacking you, first of all, that person doesn't know you. 
Um, they're just judging on what they see or think they know. Um, and they probably have nothing better to do than to get a response and make you angry and make you feel down. So the best thing you can do is ignore it and live your life. Um, I don't know how else to put it. That's, that's a perfect way of putting it, actually. Sometimes we just need to hear things straight. It doesn't need yeah. to be tied up with a bow on it. You mentioned earlier that you work with a sports psychologist. Have they given you any frameworks that you found really useful that you wouldn't mind sharing with some of the listeners at home or any kind of skills to overcome fear or anxiety or to be more efficient in their timekeeping? I've worked on a few things. Um, one is when I get thoughts in my head, um, we work with piggies. So there can be good piggies and bad piggies. Um, and one of my bad piggies is called Mr. Uncertain. So I named it Mr. Uncertain and I had to draw the piggy and around that piggy, I had to put all the thoughts that Mr. Uncertain made me feel. Um, so it would be, um, injury or, oh, I feel so useless or, you know, I feel so down or I'm worthless or all of them things in my head. I had to write it around that piggy. Um, and I just thought that was a really good exercise to just look. And then we just went through it with my sports psychologist. Um, and it was a really good exercise to then go on to. I was holding a rope. She was holding a rope. Physically holding um, a rope. No, but, but we were pretending like okay. right now. <laughs> um, and so she was saying okay fight with that thought um so it means like put on the rope but she's going to put on the rope so we're not going to get anywhere but if you work through that thought and accept it and understand why then you're not going to fight with that thought and you're just going to get somewhere positive um like basically what that exercise is trying to say is is you're not going to get anywhere with fighting with negative thoughts and you have to go through them and reason reason them um and just that really helped me just with whenever I get bad thoughts is to is to not uh block them out and and to say oh why am I feeling that way and it's okay to feel that way and then go in depth with it rather than be like oh I don't want to see you bye I'm, I'm going to pretend you're not here so confronting the kind of the thought and taking yeah. responsibility for it has helped you through. Do you then lead on your family or friends or do you normally find a way through on your own? Or um, I talk to my mum a lot. Um, and then obviously my sister and brother have, have got their own um, issues. I think a lot of people, I mean, I think I heard once that one out of four, uh, if we sat in a room, one out of four of us, um would have suffered from depression so um you know my brother and sister understand me and know me a lot so you know I talk to them and and it same goes for them so anyone you trust um and is open to talk to them at Pearson the world's learning company we're all about supporting lifelong learning and as we all know one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today and what their future should look like. 
In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they had to say on the topics that matter. From the barriers to learning that we need to break down, to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. The final question I've got for you is what three lessons have you taken from the last few years and everything you've been through, you know, the broken back, the dislocated shoulder, the yeah. moving to France, what are those lessons and what would you go back and say to a younger Leone? What advice would you give with those three lessons? First one that comes to mind is if I've got through this, I can get through anything. I remember someone tell me if I get a job and I'm fired, I think I'll be able to manage that pretty well. <laughs> So yeah, that would be number one. Secondly, it would be enjoy it more. I think younger, all I wanted to do was win and and I wasn't happy if I didn't. I think I've mentioned that more than once. So yeah, have fun and enjoy it would be another one. And then you come back stronger from from injury and, and you learn from it. I don't think I should have looked as injury as failure. I don't think injury is failure. I actually think injury is is um you know it's yeah what makes you stronger and and it can't it can't always go your way and you're feeling sorry for yourself but that's not going to make it better is it so you've injured yourself what am I going to do to make myself better as a person and as an athlete? Nice, thank you, Leonie. Leonie's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for giving us some time tonight and thanks for joining us on the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for teaching me how to embrace my my bad piggy. Some people are going to laugh listening to that. (laughs) Definitely. I was laughing at you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Brought to you by NAHT, the School Leaders Union. Don't forget to hang around and listen to our charity of the week. It's a short segment at the end of this podcast that explores amazing charities doing sensational work across our country and wider. Thank you for joining us today and see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Olympic Mindset Podcast. As you know, at the end of every episode, we offer a platform to a charity doing amazing work. This week's guest is the host of the Charity CEO Podcast, a great podcast if you haven't listened. Also a trustee for BookAid. So Divya, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you? Very well. Thank you, Dominic. And thank you for having me on the Olympic Mindset podcast and for giving me this platform to share about my own podcast, the Charity CEO podcast and BookAid International, which is a, a wonderful organization that I'll come on to talk about. Great. So before we do that, tell us a bit about your podcast. Yes, absolutely. So I started the Charity CEO podcast uh, during the pandemic, and I'm absolutely delighted that now four seasons in, the show has grown to be one of Apple's top ranked podcasts in the nonprofit category. And the show is essentially for anybody who is a leader in the charity sector, as well as anyone who aspires to be a leader. And as the name suggests, uh, every episode I speak with a fellow charity CEO and we talk about what it really takes to be a top performer in that leadership function, as well as some of the challenges uh, and best practice more broadly. 
And the show really recognizes that great leadership can come from anywhere. So Dominic, I've had guests on the show who is the CEO of the UK's biggest charity, the 600 million plus Cancer Research UK, as well as founders and CEOs of more nascent and grassroots organizations. And every leader brings a different perspective, different insights, and every conversation is really inspirational and showcases a different, a brilliant charity sector organization. And I guess it's kind of similar to what I've been trying to do with the Olympic Mindset podcast, which is relate those kind of learnings, those skills, and, you know, allow the people at home to use them and transfer them into their own lives. Because as you say, to be a high performing uh, CEO of of a charity or or even a worker in the charity sector, then you need to have a certain skill set and that can be applied anyway. So yeah, that's great. And I've listened to your podcast. That's how we met. So yeah, thank you very much for coming on. I'm really pleased to have you. And obviously you're a trustee for a wonderful cause too. Would you like to tell us a little about Book Aid? Yes, I will. Um, and just before I move on to Book Aid International, just to say to your listeners, if they're interested in learning more about the Charity CEO podcast, the show is on all of the usual podcast distribution platforms. And you can also visit uh, thecharityceo.com for information on guests and episodes. So coming now to Book Aid International, uh, it's an absolutely wonderful organization of which I am a trustee. We operate in over 30 countries uh, across the world. And the organization's vision is essentially creating a world where everybody has access to books. So we're really focused on sharing the power of books and using books to create a more equal world. And we do this through distributing brand new books. So Book Aid International distributes over a million books a year and ensuring that those books get to the places that they're most needed. So we work with partners on the ground to get books into refugee camps, for example, prisons and hospitals and really remote schools um, that have perhaps never had a, a library before. And by focusing on establishing and developing libraries, we essentially enable um, an estimated 24 million people uh, to have access to the 1 million books that Brigade sends every year. Wow, that's that's amazing. It's fantastic to hear that the organisation that you're involved with is making such wonderful things happen. If anybody's listening at home and they would love to get involved with Book Aid or support in some way, what could they do? So I would encourage people to go to the website, which is bookaid.org. And you can find out information on the various programmes and how you can even volunteer and get involved. Because the need here is really huge because there are millions of people across the world who have never seen or held a book, you know, have never been encouraged to read. And there are thousands of children in classrooms across the world who their only way of learning is by the whole class sharing one old textbook. So Book Aid International is really focused on helping transform people's lives through enabling more equitable access to books. And we would love for your listeners to get involved and support Book Aid International. Wonderful. And I really hope they do. Divya, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. And thanks for all your help and support as well with the Olympic Mindset podcast. My pleasure, Dominic. Thank you for having me as a guest on your show. Mm-hmm.